So Esther came home from school the other day singing skinny malink melodian legs, big banana feet. Some people are laughing, so I, I guess you recognize it. Maybe others don't. It's a song I used to sing back in the playground almost 30 years ago now. And I hadn't remembered it until Esther started singing. And all of a sudden, there I was, back in primary one with my friends. Music and song has that power over us. It calls us back. Maybe you've been driving in the car and a song on the car radio transports you back to your teenage years. Or you're doing the shopping in Tesco and a tune on the tannoy inflicts that bittersweet twinge of your first love. Or maybe you're surprised by an old hymn in church that you haven't sung in a long time. And all of a sudden you can almost smell the church hall where you went to Sunday school as a child. The psalm in front of us this morning is intended to do that. It calls Israel back to another time and place, to the Exodus, to the moment when God rescued his people from Egypt. Psalm 114 is a song of memory. But what interests me about this psalm and what I want us to think about together this morning is what it has to teach us about remembering. You see, according to Psalm 114, memory is not just about the past. It's also about the present. And strangely enough, the future too. I think the passage that Zach read from Mark's gospel helps us to understand this a little bit. Jesus and his disciples are gathered to remember the Exodus, the Passover. In fact, the hymn that gets a quick mention in verse 26 could well have been Psalm 114. But do you notice, how does Jesus remember Exodus? Do this in remembrance of me, he says. You see, the Exodus memory for Jesus isn't just about what God has done in the past. It's about what God is about to do through him in the present. So there's a present memory going on here. But there's also a future memory too. Jesus sees the memory of Exodus as a foreshadowing of that messianic banquet that awaits us in Christ's kingdom. We heard about it in Isaiah this morning, where there'll be good food, and my favorite verse in it, well-aged wine. Memory then should not leave us fixated on the past. Instead, it should help us to live our lives in three dimensions, past, present, and future. Right remembering encompasses all three. So let's see if Psalm 114 can help us think through these three facets of memory. Very simply, remembering the past, remembering the present, and then finally remembering the future. Remembering the past then. Well, this is a bit embarrassing, but Emma and I have developed an unusual liking for television dramas about church. As if we don't get enough church drama in our lives. We're currently watching a Scandinavian show called Ride Upon the Storm. It's about a family of Lutheran priests. Trust me, it's good. It's worth the watch. But you know what? 
it doesn't hold an altar candle to what I think is the gold standard of ecclesiastical drama. Jimmy McGovern's Broken. You'll see it on the screen here. Did anyone see it a couple of summers ago? Oh, if you haven't, get it on iPlayer. It starred Sean Bean as Father Michael Kerrigan. He's an urban priest who attends to the daily problems of his parishioners with tender care and dedication. But he's got a problem. He's struggling to come to terms with his own past. There comes a moment of real crisis in the drama when his mentor, played brilliantly by Adrian Dunbar, prays a very simple prayer for Michael. This is what he says. This is Michael Lord. He's a good priest. He's quick to forgive others. But he's slow to forgive himself. He's slow to forgive himself. Well, I'm sure there are more than a few of us here who can relate to Father Michael. It's very easy for us to focus on the brokenness of our lives. But we need to be careful here. Because while salvation does indeed begin with the recognition of our brokenness, of our sin, to continue to live in the memory of that sin, well, it risks forgetting the grace of God that wipes it away. And I think this is the first lesson that Psalm 114 has to teach us. Because right remembering should not enslave us. Right remembering liberates us. I've sort of alluded to this, but Psalm 114 is what we call one of the Hallel Psalms. That is, it's one of the Psalms sung or chanted at various festivals throughout the Jewish calendar, particularly at Passover. And they evoke Exodus. And of all the Psalms in the Hallel, it's this Psalm that most clearly tells the story of Exodus. You'll notice in the first two verses, the psalmist gets straight to the point. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange land, language, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. But do you notice anything unusual about this retelling of the Exodus story? I mean, I don't know about you, but there are some details that are missing that I would expect to find. Remember, the Exodus story is a memory of liberation from the darkness of slavery. So you might think there might be even the briefest mention of the suffering that people endured. And yet we don't have that here. You'll notice there's no lists of the hardships. There's not a whiff of Pharaoh and his armies. And the word slavery doesn't even get a footnote. You see, the pain of the past is important. It has its place. But it isn't the most important thing to remember. So what is? What does this psalm call to memory? Well, quite simply, the presence of God. Judah became God's sanctuary, we're told. Israel, his dominion. You see, and this is significant, the exodus is not remembered as a liberation from Egyptian oppression. That's strange to us, isn't it? It's remembered as the election of Israel, as the people with whom God had chosen to dwell. It's not an exodus from the land of oppression, but an exodus towards the dwelling of God with his people. Do you see the distinction? It's the presence of God over the promise of the land that is the focus of the memory. 
we see this idea continued throughout the rest of the psalm. You've got all the main plot points in the story, all told in colorful metaphor, which I love as a former English teacher now. What have we got? We've got the sea looking and then running away. An allusion, of course, to the Red Sea parting. And we have the Jordan doing a U-turn, recalling that miraculous entry into Canaan. But you'll notice as well that as before, all this remembering has a God focus. What's important here is not the miraculous escape from Egypt or the equally miraculous entry to Canaan, but what these momentous events say about the God who performs them. What I'm saying is memories of miracle are to remind Israel that their God is none other than the God of all creation, the one who is the sustainer and the redeemer of all things. Now, of course, this sort of God remembering doesn't come easy to us because we are broken. Our past lays a greater claim on our lives than perhaps we would like to admit. But what this psalm teaches us is that there's a way to remember that brings life rather than death. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, says the Lord. I will not remember your sins. You see, I think this is what Psalm 114 is trying to teach us. There are things in the past that are good to remember. And there are things in the past that are good to forget. So let us be God-orientated in our memory. Let us hold the good and the bad of our past within the overarching memory of God's grace. So that's remembering the past. What about remembering the present? Well, apart from churchy dramas, we also like Pixar movies in our house. And probably my favorite, rivaling up, is Inside Out. Now, if you haven't seen it, it's about a little girl called Riley, and she's in the process of becoming a teenager. And all the action of the movie takes place inside Riley's head, where her emotions, joy, sadness, disgust, fear, and anger, attempt to navigate her through the roller coaster of adolescence. Now, their job is to manage Riley's memories. And the most important of these are the core memories. You'll see one in the picture here. These are the memories that are most precious to Riley. The ones who determine her very identity. But there's a crisis in the movie. Because as Riley grows up and her feelings about things change, how she remembers starts to change too. Some of the core memories disappear. They're replaced by others. One or two stay the same. And some are touched by sadness rather than joy. Whatever the case, Riley's not the same person at the end of the movie that she was at the beginning. Now, I don't know what a psychologist would make of all this, but it helps me to understand that the present is as important to remembering as the past. We all have core memories. Memories that we draw upon to make sense of who we are in the present. 
And we've already established that for Israel, according to Psalm 114, Israel's core memory was God dwelling with his people. But we've been reading through the Old Testament this year, haven't we? Haven't we? (laughs) Yeah. And we know God's people are not very good at remembering, at keeping this core memory alive. In fact, most of the time, Israel seems predisposed to forgetting. And I know we haven't got to this bit yet, so apologies for the spoiler. But let me tell you that this amnesia leads Israel to destruction. Because in 586 BC, what happens? The Babylonians arrive. Israel's exiled. And the temple, that very place of God's presence, is reduced to rubble. Now, here's the remarkable thing about Psalm 114. Because you might think that this psalm, with all its talk about God dwelling with his people, well, it must have been written when the temple was standing. It must have been when the kingdom was prospering. But of course you'd be wrong. Psalm 114 was written, we think, after the exile, after the devastation of Jerusalem, after the destruction of the temple. It was written at a time when Israel's core memory was at risk of being lost. And yet, Psalm 114 shows us that the opposite happens. Because far from forgetting Exodus in this dark night of memory, the Babylonian exile gives this core memory a new significance in the present. We'll see this in the very first line, although it's a subtle point. We read, when Israel went out from Egypt, a people of a strange tongue. Now, this phrase, a people of a strange tongue, is important, or so the scholars tell me. You see, foreign speech was not one of the defining traits of the Egyptian occupation. Instead, foreign speech is more closely associated in the Bible with Babylon. It represented Israel's sense of estrangement and disorientation in this pagan land. So the psalmist, by describing Egypt in this way, is updating the Exodus memory to include Israel's present circumstances as well as the past. Psalm 114 remembers Egypt, but it also remembers Babylon. You see, the psalm calls Israel to remember that even under the shadow of another oppressor, Even when the temple walls crumble, God's presence endures. Israel remain his people. Well, this semester at college, I've been reading some Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. Um, Probably when I should have been doing some course reading, but anyway. You'll know without me telling you that he was a founding member of the Confessing Church in Germany in World War II. And like so many who took a stand against the Nazi regime, he ended up in a concentration camp before the war ended. And in fact, he was executed on Hitler's personal orders. Well, as he was awaiting his death, he wrote a poem which has become very famous, in which he grappled to understand who he was, what his core memory was telling him, in these most dire of circumstances, It's called, Who Am I? Let me read just a couple of lines to you. You'll see them on the screen here. 
Who am I? This or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others and before myself a contemptibly woe-begone weakling. Who am I? They mock me these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O Lord, I am thine. You know, Bonhoeffer had to face doubts and fears in his circumstance that we can only imagine. But though we can't share in his experience, I think we can learn from his example. Because like Israel sitting by the rivers of Babylon weeping, Bonhoeffer was sustained not by his own strength or personal courage, but by the identity-shaping memory of God's abiding presence in his life. Let me suggest that we all need to hold on to our core memories of God's grace, particularly at times of difficulty, maybe when your identity seems challenged. This is what Psalm 114 is about. It's about right remembering of the past that's God-orientated, and it's about right remembering of the present that allows the memory of God's grace to sustain us in the now. So remembering the past, remembering the present, finally, remembering the future. Well, Psalm 114 ends, doesn't it, with this emphatic command for the whole earth to tremble at what the Lord has done for Israel. The whole earth. Well, the theologian Walter Brueggemann explains that these words bring the psalm to its climactic remembering. That though the miracles that happened to Israel are distinct to them, they're also incidents that have a global and an eternal reach. Everything depends on this word turn, Yahweh's capacity to turn, Brueggemann argues. Yahweh is the one who turns mourning into dancing, who turns sadness into joy, who turns death to life, slavery to freedom. You see, in this sense, Psalm 114 also points the way to the future of the whole of creation, not just the future of Israel. It has what we might call a future memory. This psalm looks beyond the events of Exodus and indeed God's continuing deliverance of Israel in the present to see how that deliverance would be extended for eternity to the whole world. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Now, I said at the beginning that Jesus was likely to have sung this psalm at the Last Supper. Well, if he did, then we might imagine him saying, sing this in remembrance of me. Because I think when we sing these words with Jesus as our memory, they become a poetic retelling of his crucifixion. When, as we read in Matthew's gospel, the earth shook, the rocks were split, and even the Roman soldiers declared, truly this is the Son of God. 
You see, I think whether the psalmist knew it or not, by remembering Exodus, he was remembering Easter. For Christ's the one who turns back the tides of death. The one who brings, breaks the stone of the tomb to bring streams of living water to the whole world. You know, this is what we mean when we talk about Christian hope. It's not hope in the sense that we just keep our fingers crossed and we hope for the best. It's hope in the sense that we live in anticipation of something that has already been achieved. Remembering the past, remembering the present, remembering the future. Psalm 114 calls us to all three. It reminds us that our identity, our past, present, and future is shaped by the memory of the God who tabernacles with us. The God who delivers us from the bondage of slavery. The God who offered himself to the whole world on the cross. And it reminds us that right remembering is God-focused. That right remembering brings rejuvenation in the present. That right remembering points us to our future hope. I'm about to finish. But before I do... I just want to go back for a minute to where I started, to music. Maybe some of you have heard of this charity, Playlist for Life. It helps hundreds of people with dementia to remember who they are through the power of music. And you know, it strikes me that we could all do with a playlist for life. And it would certainly do us no harm, I think, to include Psalm 114 on that playlist. Maybe Dave or Chris could put it to some nice music for us. Because, you know, we need to keep listening to this psalm. It's a song about Israel's past, yes. But it's a song about the church's future. It's a song of Exodus, yes. But it's also a song of Easter. And when we sing this song... We do so to remember that we are part of a story that binds us to the sacred memory of the God who holds all our past pains, all our present concerns, and our future joy in his eternal gaze. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.